What's up, everybody? This is FTW with ModCon. I'm your host, ModCon, and joining me today on this If It Ain't Broke edition is Dexerdo's Adam Fitch. Thank you very much for having me once again. And later on, we'll be joined by Rishi Alwani of the Mako Reactor to talk PUBG's massive investment in India. But first, Call of Duty League. It was announced last week that Chicago Huntsman would be rebranding to Optic Chicago. While the team is still owned by Energy, it is being rebranded as players like Seth Scump Abner and Matthew Formal Piper, longtime Optic members during the Call of Duty World League days, have taken over the zeitgeist of the team. Most fans follow the Chicago Huntsman because of its roster, not the city associated with it. Hector Hex Rodriguez, who runs Optic Gaming, is now co-CEO of Energy and CEO of Optic Chicago. Adam put out a story last week on Dexerto pointing out how important branding is in Call of Duty League. It called into question Activision Blizzard's attempt to put geolocation at the forefront. So, Adam, while geolocation did work for Overwatch League because it was a completely brand new franchise, you know, it seemed that Activision Blizzard wanted to bring over the same model to Call of Duty League and kind of implant its own vision into the current culture. And clearly that's not working out exactly how it envisioned. Is that a problem for Activision Blizzard or are they just kind of going with the flow? I knew things would be a little bit different with uh, the Call of Duty League when Atlanta Phase slipped through the cracks and they actually retained like a pre-existing brand. I was like, okay, something's changed here versus the Overwatch League. And well, I I think um, Call of Duty Esports has always had a problem in terms of uh, new fan and new spectator acquisition. And that's kind of been evident in the lack of viewership growth over the past decade, really. Obviously, things picked up as Esports picked up, but it's never really grown into kind of considered tier one uh, Esports by any means. And I I think it has the fan base, but it needs it needs a stronger viewership, right? And I think tapping into locations uh, like, I guess, Chicago and Atlanta, I don't have the exact demographic of Call of Duty fans there, but I, I think they've always kind of banked on being able to do that because you see like rabid... Um, like a geo targeted and geolocated fan bases in like football for example like Manchester United Manchester City huge rivalries there but then you look at the Call of Duty League and there's LA Gorillas and there was Optic Gaming LA which is now LA Thieves and nobody cares about Gorillas look (laughs) that's just how it is and I I think there's a huge opportunity there for them to tap into it but uh, I, I also think like marketing the, the esports side of the equation for Call of Duty has always been a weak point for Activision Blizzard. So I, I don't know if they'll ever actually manage to pull it off, but I, I think that is one of the, the key ways they could, in theory, uh, grow Call of Duty League beyond where it is now, even though it did just have a, a record year, which is obviously a, a promising sign. I think what it points to is just how important personality is because you look at kind of the streaming esports space. I mean, there are individual streamers who are pulling in greater numbers than entire leagues. And I, I see the industry moving more and more towards just streaming. I see a lot of pro players trying to do more streaming uh, as they try to develop their brands, uh, knowing that their careers might be cut short. Is this more of just a symptom of esports starting to lag behind the current kind of streaming ecosystem? It's a good question. I mean, well, I, I think Call of Duty esports and Call of Duty more widely, I guess, was kind of like a, a springboard for some of the first like gaming celebrities. You look like Nadeshot like signing with Red Bull, like however long ago now, probably eight, eight, nine years ago, and they they were early on the content creation and and streaming game. When you're competing, it's hard to find time to stream unless you're going to stream competitive matches or, or scrims, and then you're you're giving away tactics and stuff. So I I think yeah, it's a a natural limitation, and I, it's it's broadly across like media and stuff as well i think just personality is everything uh in like the internet 
era i guess uh, and and that that goes across media and, and gaming and and streaming so while competition is supposedly the the number one thing in esports uh, it depends how broadly you define esports right and uh i i'd say the streaming portion fits into that uh in some senses with obviously like 100 thieves not only competes and has apparel but it, it has valkyrie and, and courage and and Brooke AB, Nico and such, who are all pulling in those numbers. So they're actually part of like 100 Thieves <laughs> are actually successful still based based off of that and bringing in the, the viewership. So I think it's quite nuanced. Uh, and, and Call of Duty uh, it was in a really good spot for that and, and still could be. But um, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard. I think it's hard to balance competing and streaming. So they're never going to be as huge personalities as they could be. I think like Scump is the perfect example of somebody who would be way more like financially successful if he retired and stuck to streaming and creating videos because he can have a year's break, come back, upload a YouTube video and get 200,000 views overnight. Uh, so imagine if he had a consistent schedule and he was really putting himself out there instead of concentrating on trying to be the best in the game, you know? Are there any other teams you think in the Call of Duty League that could probably be rebranded with, you know, a, a more long-standing organization? I think Dallas Envy would be the most obvious choice for me. Uh, so FaZe Clan Association, I named Optic Gaming, and I named Team Envy as, like, the three main legacy brands in Call of Duty. Been around there basically from the start of, of the esports side of things really picking up. And um, Envy is the only one missing out now, obviously, with, with uh, Optic Chicago and Atlanta FaZe. And LA Thief to some degree because of Nature uh, and his former association with Optic Gaming. Uh, he, he's very much a, a branch off of there. So I, I think Dallas Envy would be the most logical kind of next step in, in doing that. I don't think like changing London Royal Ravens to London Rogue or Florida Mutineers to Florida Misfits would have anywhere near the same impact as as bringing back Envy into the COD fold and look like we saw Hastro the the well former CEO now is he chief gaming officer or chief people officer one of those BS titles uh he he's um he actually put out a poll like, a couple hours after I tweeted about Dallas Envy saying this is not me saying this will sway anything but which do you prefer Empire or Envy so I, I think that's something they're considering now. Now they've realized for sure that uh, they can do that as long as they fit in with whatever the super relaxed rule is over at Activision Blizzard about naming conventions for franchises. Mm. You know, I look at kind of like the Chinese esports space where it seems that at least like League of Legends or Dota, like a group can come together and form a team and, you know, that'll be their brand and people will just band by it because of the, I guess, the quality or strength of the, the, the players playing. While, you know, in, at least in the West, I do see branding as more and more important. And, you know, I was watching a video in which Mr. Beast, that very popular YouTuber, I think he has like 50 million subscribers. He was talking about how he really wanted to start a League of Legends esports team. And, you know, I mean, is there going to be a future, you think, at least in Western esports, where whatever brand, whether it be a YouTuber, a shoe or whatever, decides to form an esports team and that is the thing that propels it to great stardom. I mean, even LA Thieves, you said that in your article that they're the fourth most followed account in the Call of Duty League on Twitter, even though like it's really, really new. You can kind of look at it already happened in a sense. Like Nature obviously has his uh, competitor past, but he he's most known for his content. And you can look at like Team Queso, Spanish organization. I, I couldn't tell you the name of the YouTuber, but he's a popular YouTuber there. And uh, he, he kickstarted, uh, what, what's Queso? Is that cheese? So like, it's called Team Cheese and they have a cheesy logo, but like it works. Um, and it's, it's huge in, in their kind of local market, right? So I, I could see Mr. Mr. Beast doing it. And I mean, that's a really strong foundation to build off of like that pre-existing audience. And of course, you only need like 
five percent of his audience to, to go across out of the fifty million, and you've got one of the most followed teams instantly. And and if you and that that percentage I mentioned that that's people who really get into it. Like they'll probably have more people who just casually follow, um, or at least uh, help to pad the numbers because they support him as a person, uh, as a personality. So we're, we've already seen it a, a slight amount in the West, and I, I can't I can't imagine we'll see it more, but only when esports is a proven profitable industry because right now the the organizations that are claiming to be profitable are the ones like tsm who have huge creators as opposed to the pure competitive ones say like a, an xl esports in in the uk or like astralis for example i think it kind of hinges on that when esports is actually a good investment instead of when some people on linkedin literally anyone saying it is a really good investment on the team side right now at that point i think we'll see more creators looking to do so and it's cool i actually think a little aside it's cool to see creators really getting into the business side of things and and having like products and business ventures beyond just creating because it's it's a lot more scalable like you can only create so much content but you can actually have a team on the side and and that can grow so uh, i'd be interested in seeing it happen and uh, i i think it will be a phenomenon that grows in the next couple of years for a major creator like a Mr. Beast or a PewDiePie, wh- whoever, if they decide to get into esports, you as a business reporter, what is like the number one piece of advice you would give them? Yeah. Oh God. Uh, pro- don't do it. No. <laughs> I-, I think just do um, due diligence. Right. Don't don't just look at the the, the, the team. If you're looking to get involved with a team like uh, Vicstar, for example, uh, part of the Sidemen, uh, very big in Warzone right now. Uh, he's just invested in London Royal Ravens, which is part of Wrecked Global, so it also owns like Rogue. Um, look, I, I I don't think he's just identified them as oh they they've got huge followers. That, I don't think that's the case. I think he's gone right. What fits with my brand? And he's like, okay, I'm big in Warzone right now, Call of Duty. I've got a background there as well. Okay, who who are involved in that? Like the London Royal Ravens are part of that. He's English, and uh, London Royal Ravens is the only English franchise. So I think that just kind of fits in and is a natural extension of his brand and, and his persona online and, and a kind of his background, I guess. So I, I think finding something that makes sense uh, and something that you believe in is a lot more, um, more... Well, just it makes a lot more sense than just saying, okay, TSM are getting the most views on YouTube right now, so I'll just go with them. Like, I, I think uh, you've just got to be careful with it and, and take your time. You don't... Like, esports is not going to go anywhere. And and the like competition is never going to die, so you can you can take your time and and uh, also maybe don't be afraid to start your own if if you've got the kind of capability and, and the backing and the team to do so. Uh, that may be the most smart way of doing it. It just depends what you're really looking to do and how much you're looking to invest. Well, with that, Adam, thank you so much for jumping on. Thank you for having me, mate. And now I'm joined by Rishi Alwani of the Mako Reactor. Earlier this year, India banned PUBG, as well as a host of other Chinese apps, as tensions between the two countries intensified. While PUBG is working on making its return by rebranding as PUBG Mobile India, a custom version that aims to satisfy regulators, it did so by cutting ties with Chinese giant Tencent, and striking a deal with Microsoft to move all PUBG mobile data. PUBG Corp's parent company, Krafton, plans to invest $100 million in India to help cultivate a local video game, esports, entertainment, and IT scene. There are plans to open offices throughout the country and hire more than 100 employees. So Rishi, the loss of PUBG was major, major news earlier this year. It returning is probably also equally major news. What has the reaction been from the PUBG mobile community in India? The game was banned around two months ago. And the situation was such where it had to do a lot with the uh, increasing border tensions between India and China. 
the response from the community to the fact that it's coming back has been fantastic. Uh, there's been a lot of people who are really happy that's coming back. The players themselves, the the be, be it casual players or pros, they're really happy that it's coming back. The response has been great. And at the same time, tournament organizers and uh, esports teams are also really happy because you know when you have the likes of uh, Fnatic in the country, even Entity for that matter, TSM Entity, a lot of them are doing business in India on the basis of the fact of the PUBG ecosystem, uh, the fact that there's so much prize money, the fact that the, that you know Tencent was pushing it, was was willing to invest a lot, uh, was a big draw for uh, talent and was a big draw for people to care. So the community is really happy. The business is really happy, but it's not exactly following protocol. And I say that because, um, see, here's the thing. While you do have the community and the business that's really happy with what's going on, um, the government, on the other hand, doesn't seem to have been notified. And I say this because, so after we had the announcement that it's coming back and that there's a hundred million, uh, you know, that they want to put in hundred million dollars into India and they want to hire a ton of people, that's all great. But I mean, there's, there's a recent report uh, in the Times of India, which basically stated that, uh, you know, and they, they were citing a government official that unless they're able to address the concerns, it'll be difficult to grant any relaxation. That's the exact quote, uh, according to government sources speaking to the Times of India. Now, there are a couple of things to this. Uh, for one, Times of India has the same publication last year that in its infinite wisdom claimed that PUBG was making a ton of money in India, more than it was making. They were saying they're doing something like 50 crore or 70 crore a week. Uh, and in India, crore is 10 million, by the way. So when you're saying you're making 500 million uh, rupees a week, which is, I mean, nonsense, they weren't. At the best case, it was two to three million US dollars. So the fact that, the fact that you know, Times of India was also responsible for that a year ago, and that was a different team who wrote about it, but still, that's, that's one issue. Second issue is, it's quite likely that uh, the government will have a problem because when you have a game that's this high profile that gets banned, that decides to come back in such a fashion, there are going to be regulatory concerns. That is going to be a problem. And I don't think that uh, they've addressed that. And I say this because it takes time. Uh, no one, as particularly when you're dealing with the government here, uh, the amount of bureaucracy, the amount of red tape, the amount of lobbying that's required, it's not like anyone from the government is going to give you a say-so immediately. And I say this because it's not just one department of the government that has a problem with PUBG Mobile. It's a bunch of them, all right? And all of them, uh, there are like seven or eight ministries, all of which have a problem with them, citing issues like data, citing issues like violence, citing issues like uh, addiction. So, And for, for all of them, to you know, reach a consensus, come together and agree to it, is where uh, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. So, while uh, while PUBG Core wants this to happen really soon, and I say this because a lot of the local uh, PUBG Pro players here have been hinting a Diwali release, and I mean we're ready. I think on I mean we're ready on Diwali in India. So. And we've seen teasers already. So there were like uh, there was a teaser that went out yesterday that had or uh, yeah yesterday that had Dynamo and Cronten and Jonathan three three really well known PUBG pro players here who were talking about uh, you know oh you're missing the game but it's coming back. So that teaser already went out and there's from and the other rumor that's doing the rounds is they've enlisted uh, Bollywood actor Arshad Warsi uh, who used uh, as one of their uh, you know brand ambassadors of sorts and that's another. Uh, piece of advertising that's going to go out as well. And now, so that's the thing, right? When you have all of this in the works and all of this that's happening uh, and you're going this high profile and you don't have the government's backing just yet, it makes the entire thing seem uh, very amusing to me.
So you're saying that like the the excitement might be a little premature given that there's a lot of bureaucratic red tape, a lot of regulators that still need to analyze this game before they feel comfortable bringing it back. I mean, do you feel that there could be enough pressure from the public or from the corporate end to essentially push the government to try to bring this game back more quickly? Look, at the end of the day, the only reason anyone decides to make grandiose statements of putting so much money into India and, uh, you know, launching the, and, and bringing back the game with, you know, trying to get the public on their side is for that reason. It's pretty obvious that this is the reason. And I say this because, I mean, it's a pretty, it's an open secret in the industry here that PUBG Core has been mulling its options for a while. Uh, they, they, they did talk to Geo, they did talk to Airtel, they did talk to a few other people in, in the senior. Uh, and the reason being why they, they talk to bigger companies like Airtel and Geo is because telcos in India are, they deal with bureaucracy on a daily basis. That's how anything happens in that in that industry to begin with. And the only reason you talk to them is because, hey, uh, can you help us get unbanned? <laughs> but, you know, nothing will happen overnight, which is why I don't think any of their discussions went through really well. Because if it did with, with Geo, if it did with uh, uh, with Airtel, uh, these, were the, these would be the potential publishing partners. But that doesn't seem to have happened. So... In my opinion, yes, I do agree with you. It is premature. I mean, it, it also makes me wonder what's at stake here because it's definitely not a revenue play. Uh, the revenue is max to max to do 3 mil, which is, you know, from the grand scheme of things, a rounding error for, for, for PUBG Core. But I think what's more likely is because Krafton wants to do an IPO. And uh, when you do an IPO uh, and, you, and the investors see that you're missing out on that 50 million monthly active user base from India, that's where it becomes a problem. It harms your share price and your valuation. And we saw that with Tencent, right? So when the game got banned, Tencent overnight lost what I think around thirty-four billion dollars from its uh, uh, from from its valuation on the stock market. So I think that's the play here. The the play here is to ensure that they have a great IPO, and if this is a key component of it, and if this is a key market for them, they're going to try every trick in the book. It's just that. Uh, I feel that it's premature and it's a little unfair because you're basically, I mean, let's be honest here. If the government doesn't give you approval or bans this again, there are two problems. One is this, is this sets precedent because, uh, I mean, let's be honest, Activision, right? Activision has Call of Duty Mobile. The, 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 dev, the developer there is also Tencent. The developer on PUBG Mobile is still Tencent. That hasn't changed either. So there's a chance that this could backfire and lead to other games being banned also for that matter. So that's uh, one concern I have. And the second thing is, this isn't exactly a new trick because uh, there's been another short form video app that rebranded itself, a short form video app from China, which I think was called Kwai, which rebranded itself to, super, uh, to Snap Video, to Snapvid. And when it rebranded itself, it got a million, it got a million downloads from India. And what they basically did was all the employees on the Chinese company, they changed them to another company, which is a non-Chinese company that was, uh, the, that, that had them on their roles. And, I mean, you can do that if you're small enough and you can fly under the radar. But when you're someone like, uh, when you're a game that's as visible and a company that's as visible as PUBG Core and PUBG, that's where the problem lies. You can't do these things that put you under the radar because it sets precedent. Tomorrow, nothing stops TikTok from doing a similar thing. And I think that's where it's going to be fascinating because the government will eventually have to draw a line somewhere.
Mm-hmm. I mean, what has the financial hit been for not only the tournament organizers in India, but the players, fan base or the community, and of course, PUBG Corporation itself? In terms of PUBG Corp itself, like I said, it's for India, it's more or less a valuation play. And that's what they're looking at. It's not uh, that two to three million Maximax they're doing from India is basically a rounding error in the grand scheme of things. It's the user base and the value and the value that user base brings when you look at it from a point of brand partnerships, which they've done in the past in India with Bollywood. With with a couple of Bollywood movies, one like Street Dancer 3D comes to mind, which they did in the past. So that's that's where they lose out. And plus, obviously, look, it wasn't just uh, the brand partnerships either, right? Or it, And it wasn't just the Battle Pass either, which was the major, major source of revenue from India. But it was also, the fact of the matter is, the content and ecosystem around it. For example, when uh, Tencent did a whole web series on YouTube, and come on, you're going to make money of that ad revenue also. So... The way I see it, uh, I don't think the hit is in pure revenue terms, but more in a value and valuation terms is where PUBG Core is being hit. Uh, if I look at it from tournament organizers and esports teams, well, I mean, for example, uh, Fnatic basically decided to put everything on hold for three months because their perspective was that the game will have to come back. And only when it comes back will they, you know, end up doing anything. Those three months, they were taking the hit because they were paying players and there were no matches, there's no rounds, there's no tournaments, there's nothing. That was what was happening from a team perspective. Tournament organizers took a hit as well. Uh, I know a couple of them who lost basically an 80% of their top line valuation overnight. So it was a pretty big, big problem for them. And that's why you see a lot of them moving over to other games, right? They're trying to make up for lost time. They're doing stuff with Valorant. They're trying to do stuff with Free Fire. They're trying to do stuff with COD Mobile. Uh, and while these games have their audiences, they're not going to have the the mass appeal that PUBG has. I mean, no offense to Free Fire. It's a great game. But the audience it attracts in India is, for the lack of a better term, rather toxic. The game itself has a lot of cheating issues and the like. So, you know, it's been a big problem for organizers. I think they'll be really happy if it comes back. And if I look at it from a player base, in my opinion, that's the part that's been hit the most, the player base and content creators. Um, that's because, see, once you've played a game that's as polished as PUBG, going back into anything else is really tough. Call of Duty Mobile, that's really good. But at the same time, Activision is non-existent in India. And we're non-existent to the point where even Cold War, Black Ops Cold War doesn't even have an India release because it, because Activision thought, uh, basic, Activision priced themselves out of India. I think we're around 71 $72 versus 60 in the rest, rest of the world. So no one's touching it here. So no one's, so Activision's not even bringing that game in. For, they're not even bringing mainline Call of Duty. What will they do with Call of Duty Mobile? So Activision's a non-entity. Your other options are what? Ludo and Cricket. Those are fine. And look, they're making money. They're great games and they're making money. But that's a super casual audience that doesn't help build an ecosystem. You can't build an ecosystem around live streaming Ludo. No one's going to watch that. You can't do esports around Ludo either. So, and cricket, the cricket games here are yet to be esports ready. I have a feeling that we're, we're probably like a few years away before cricket games in India become esports ready. And that's a lot to do with the developer, uh, re with developer resources being prioritized towards things like, you know, the cricket equivalent of a FIFA Ultimate Team. Until that comes together, I don't think there's anyone there who's able to, you know, build an ecosystem around it. And that's uh, where it gets fascinating. There have been some attempts from Indian companies. So, like, there's been one game that's called Mask Gun that actually wasn't even made for India. It's made by an Indian studio, June Gaming, that's uh, based out of Pune. And... Uh, that game saw like I think what 30 to 40 percent uptick in Indian users since PUBG got banned. It's got a nice Fortnite meets Counter Strike style of aesthetic, and they don't have a battle royale mode. It's mainly like uh, you know deathmatch team deathmatch, but it's got a pretty rabid hardcore audience. Uh, 
I, I don't know if that company will plan or use that game as its esports play. When I interviewed them last, they did hint that they were working on something else as well. So, I mean, you do have a couple of Indian Indian guys like them who are trying to do stuff, but it's uh, it's still up in the air as to who's, be, who's able to come in and, you know, fill that void. Because uh, what most people, I mean, the thing is, Look, I look at it this way, right? When we have our Prime Minister telling, saying that he wants games made from India, that's great. But they're not going to happen overnight. So what we're seeing right now is not even wave one. It's like wave zero of, of, of an Indian attempt. Wave one is probably at least three years away, you know? And I'm referring to games at scale. I'm not referring to, you know, your indie stuff like Raji, which is great for a single-player experience. I'm referring to games at scale, which can actually scale, which can actually help you build an ecosystem around. And I don't see that happening for another year at least. Well, there's definitely a lot of complications when, I guess, analyzing the gaming and esports space in India. But Rishi, thank you so much for jumping on and giving us all this information. No worries. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan. If you like the show, please rate, subscribe, and share. Full transcripts of the show can be found at ftwamad.com. To follow Adam and all the work he's doing at Dexerto, you can follow him at ByAdamFitch on Twitter. To follow Rishi and everything that's going on in esports in India, follow him at Rishi Alwani on Twitter. To follow me and my writing over at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and elsewhere, find me at Ahmad on Twitter. And Ron Lyons is our audio producer. With that, we'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>